Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, and I welcome you to A Word from the Word Ministries, and I am Evangelist Finney Riddle, and this is our segment called Revelation, the series for now time living, and we are certainly living the times now of the revelation, and also all of those predictions that were made mention of in other books and other chapters. And we are going to be going to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and we're going to be picking up with verse number 12. And this is where the Lord told John to write letter to the church in Pergamos. But before we get off into this, we are going to open with prayer. And we are praying for all of those that are affected by this thing that is going around the world. Uh, we are praying for those that are Sick with it. We thank God for those that survived it. Um, we're praying for Pastor Mobley because he's got some things going on with his family and church family. So we are praying for their strength. Um, hopefully he'll be able to make it back on with us real soon. So we're going to pray as the Lord taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And he said that when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Y'all know the drill. Get your smartphone, your dumb phone, your iPad, your laptop, your desktop, your hard copy, wherever you have your word, get it. And then get pencil and paper so you can take notes. After you take those notes and after this broadcast is done, Go back over them mm -hmm, and ask the Lord to show you the lesson that needs to be learned for you, not nobody else. We only can deal with ourselves. Yeah, we got it bad about wanting to point the finger, but sometimes we got, we got to look at ourselves, okay? And also during this teaching, I just want to remind you all that we are the church. It's not the building that we assemble to. It's us. We are the church. Okay? All right. So let's get this thing going. Revelation 2 and 12, and it reads, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, 
with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, <clears throat> and will give him and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Okay. Let's deal with the city of Pergamos. The Lord said, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Now, we also understand that from our past teachings that when he said to the angel of that church, that meant the representative, the pastor, the leader of this particular church. Let's look at Pergamos for a moment. <clears throat> As you know, these churches, all seven of these churches are in were in Asia Minor, and during this particular time, the Romans had control of this area. So Pergamos was a political city. It was the capital of the Roman province, and when John wrote to Pergamos, it had been the capital city in that region for more than, they say, 300 years. Now, this city was also noted to be the center for culture, education. Uh, it had many, it had a great library there, and it is said that for this to be an ancient library and an ancient world, is saying that they had more than 200,000 volumes of writings in this place. This was also a very religious city, and the sad part about it is, is that it had temples not only to... Um, the churches that were there for the Christians, but it also had Greek and Roman God temples there. Um, Dionysus, 
was a god. Athena was a god. Demeter was a god. And Zeus was a god. And they had temples to all of these. Um, then also you had some certain Roman emperors that claimed themselves to be gods. So since Rome had dominion over this and these emperors claiming themselves to be gods, they also had temples to them. Yeah, they was worshiping these people, these humans, yeah, as gods. How arrogant. <laughs> How very arrogant. You know, you think that you got it like that. Okay, well, they did find out they didn't have it, okay? The city was also known for its worship of this god called Asclepius. Asclepius. I know I'm tearing that name up, but this person or this god was represented by a serpent. And he was supposed to be the god of healing and knowledge. They had a medical school there at his temple in Pergamos. And because it was a famous temple to the Roman god, of healing the sick and the diseased people, people from everywhere, from all over the Roman Empire, would come to Pergamus seeking relief. Isn't it strange how rather than going to the reliever of all, the creator of all, they chose to want to <laughs> worship statues, right? So then in the last part of that 12th verse, the Lord says he's describing himself to this church. He said, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay, in Revelation 1 and 16, when John had his vision about Yeshua, he saw the sword in his mouth. Now, like we said earlier, this is not showing that the Lord is carrying the sword around in his mouth between his teeth. No. It's talking about the words. His words are sharp. Okay. The description of that sword shows up in Revelation 1 and 18, and it helps us to associate it with the mouth of Jesus, which we know that his words are very sharp. In Hebrews 4 and 12, and when I say his words are sharp, I mean that when we are doing wrong, he corrects us. And we don't always like the correction. No, we don't. That's what I mean by it being sharp. 
because he will, and when we often say that when the Lord is correcting us, our spirits feel convicted. And we do feel convicted because, and it's not that he jumping up and down and yelling, didn't I, no, 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 no. He remains with that soft voice, but you can hear the sternness. And then if we have a relationship with him and we do something wrong and he goes to correct us, we should feel convicted because, hey, we did, we we, we we messed up. In Hebrews 4 and 12, it tells us again, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So Jesus would use this sharp two-edged sword to make some separation among the Christians in Pergamos. And now we're fixing to get off into that. In this next verse, in the 13th verse, Jesus is saying what he knows about this church. He says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. <clears throat> and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. When he tells us that he knows our works, he does. He knows what we have done. He knows what we haven't done. He knows it. And then he says, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Well, you see, Pergamos was a stronghold for satanic power because along with the um, temples to the Greek and Roman gods and the temples to the uh, Roman emperors, there was another group in there called the... Nick, who always messes his name up, the Nicolaitans. However, um, and all of these fashions were going against God's word. He said, and you hold fast to my name. Now, the fact that they lived in such a city with all of that going on, there were some true Christians in Pergamos that held on to their faith in Jesus and did not deny. And the Lord praises them for that. Antipas was one 
that stood, okay? And when I did my research about him, I found out that he's one of the unsung heroes, okay, because don't know too many people know about him as far as history goes. History tells us nothing about him except for that except for that he was alive during that time. He stood for Christ. He did not like what was going on and he spoke out about it. His name means against all. Not saying that he was against the Lord. No, he wasn't against the Lord. But he was against everything that was not of God. And and the Lord said that he was a faithful martyr. Well, you see, we have to understand what that means too, okay? Martyr comes from the Greek word martus. And martus is, as they say, a most interesting and suggestive word. (laughs) Yeah. Mortus does not necessarily mean martyr in the sense of the term, but it always means a witness. So you could say that Antipas was a great witness to the word of our Savior. But in verses 14 and 15, we find out that the Lord has something against the Christians in Pergamos. He said, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the King James Version, it said fornication. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, these people were also made mention of, I want to say, with the church of Ephesus, okay, and they hated them too. So they didn't partake in their teaching. However, this particular church allowed it. And this is what the Lord is saying. I don't like you doing that. No, it's not right. So he said, I have a few things against you. 
the Christians in Pergamos were, they were praised, they were rightly praised for holding fast their name and keeping their faith. But at the same time, the environment that they were in, it didn't excuse the few things that Jesus had against them. Balaam, you could say, was a prototype of all corrupt teachers. And you'll find his story in Numbers 22 through 24. So there's two chapters that is dedicated to this man. Balaam combined, oh, and there's one other chapter, it's 22, 24, and 31. Now, Balaam combined the sins of immorality and idolatry to please Balak. Now, Balak was the god, or he was the king, okay, of, of Moab. And, you know, that's one of the groups that when the children of Israel was traveling through the wilderness, you know, there were several that he told, the Lord told them not to mingle with. And this is one of them. Uh, Balak was the king of, of Moab, and he wasn't a good one. <laughs> When it reads, when it says that he put the stumbling blocks before the children of Israel, Balaam counseled Balak, okay, and told him, do these things. And when he said stumbling blocks, these stumbling blocks were connected to idolatry. We know that the Lord does not want us worshiping anything outside of him. And we can make anything an idol. You can make your work your idol, your car your idol, your house your idol, uh, your bank account. You can, you, you can make an idol out of anything, and he does not like that. We find ourselves celebrating the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. So these stumbling blocks were connected with idolatry, and when they would sacrifice things to the idols, they also ate the meat, okay, which was not right. And then they had the sexual immorality. Oh, my goodness, all right? So they was doing something, anything and everything that they felt like they were big enough to do. If the church in Pergamos had those who did hold the doctrine of Balaam, this was showing that they had tendencies to want to go both idolatry 
and immorality. And we know that sexual immorality is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Sexual immorality marked the whole culture of ancient Roman Empire. They had all kind of orgies. They had sex with men, women, animals. They didn't care, okay? And this is the fornication. This is, you know, they didn't care whether he was married or not. Just come on, you know, but the Lord does not <laughs> favor that. He does not feel that, okay? The Lord also told them that you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, tans, okay? In Revelation 2 and 6, Jesus praised the Ephesian Christians because they didn't like the deeds of these people. But this group of folk had their own doctrine, and some among the Christians in Pergamos held that doctrine. They, they lived it. They liked it, okay? Now, the question arises, what is the doctrine? Well, let's look at the name first, okay? This title has the idea of proud authority and a hierarchical separatism. In other words, that name, that name Nicolaos, literally means to conquer the people. Hmm. So with them having their teachings out there and some of the Christians believing and doing what they were doing, you could virtually say, yeah, you could literally say that they were conquering the people. The rebuke that the Lord says, he said, you have those there. And then he said, you also have those, okay? The rebuke was not only against those who held that teaching of Balaam and those who held the teachings of the Nicolaitans, but the rebuke was also against those who allowed them to continue. The Christians of Pergamos, some say was like the Christians in Corinth, when Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9, Paul was writing and telling them about their immoralities that they were doing and going with husbands and wives and each other and all of the things that were said that, that, that the flesh, the destruction of the flesh, so with all of this immorality going on, you can see 
why the Lord called it Satan's seat. Satan couldn't accomplish much by the persecution of the the Christians in Pergamos because many of the Christians, like Antipas, they held fast to their faith. So what did he do next? He tried his age-old tactic, deception. It's really funny how we allow Satan to deceive us. And yes, he is a very cunning individual. <laughs> the word says that he's the father of lies. The word tells us that if we continue to believe this rascal and doing what he, you know, whispering in our ear for us to do, we're going to end up like he is, all right? We're going to end up in that lake. We need to get our act together. And it's so funny how today's church hmm, is much like that church in Pergamos, and I'll explain my reasoning for saying that in a moment. Then the Lord told them in verse 16, he said this is what he wants them to do. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent. Wow. Wow. Not only change your mind and the way you think, but change your direction. Five of the seven churches, and I made mention of this earlier in our teaching, five of the seven churches are commanded to repent. And repent is a command that applies to the Christians, not only to those who first came to Jesus. When people first, if you remember, when we first got saved, boy, we was on fire. We wanted to tell everybody about the Lord. But then somewhere along the line, that fire, that zeal that we had kind of waned away, and then we started drifting off into other directions. The Lord is saying, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Wow. Unless they do repent, the Christians of the Pergamos would face Jesus who has that two-edged sword. In 1 Peter 4 and 17, you can read it for yourself, but it says, 
For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Woe. All right. The last time we taught, we were talking about the church. Uh, Let me get over here. The church that the Lord said they wouldn't suffer the second death. And he was talking to the church. I want to say it was Smyrna. Yeah, it was Smyrna. where he was saying that he that overcometh will not be hurt from a second death. And we made the equation saying you can be born once and die twice or be born twice and die once. Here is another example of that, okay, where he's telling them repent or else. I'm going to come quickly, and I'm going to do what I got to do. I will fight against them. However, unless they do repent, the Christians of Pergamos would face the Jesus with that two-edged sword because we just read in First Peter where the Lord said that the judgment is going to start in the house of God first. Why? Because we're supposed to know what the rules are. We know what the rules are. If we done studied and, 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 and learned and taught and tried to live the life that we're supposed to, we know what the rules are. And when we break them, guess what? It's noted. No, it's not noted down here on earth. It's noted up there in the book that we're going to have to stand in account of. So if we got to give an account of what we've done, done, what do we think the rest of the world is going to have to do that didn't know him? The only difference is, is that if we repent, change our stinking thinking, and get our direction right, we're covered by his blood, and our judgment is not going to be like the judgment of those that don't know him, didn't have any part of him. Like I said before, yeah, we're going to have to give an account of it, but we won't have to deal with that second death. We're going to only die once. And that's where our spirit and our souls separate from this earthly vessel. When Jesus said that he's going to use the sword of his mouth against them, Jesus was saying that 
he was going to come up against the Christians in Pergamos that did not obey. However, he will comfort them that kept his word with his word. In verse 17, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Just He who has an ear. We have to be mindful of what we allow to go into our ears. There's a danger of false teaching that can lead us into immoral conduct, and that's dangerous. That's what I meant by when I said it's much like the church of today. We have allowed so much to come up into our churches till we are like this particular church, Pergamos. And I, I know I'm going to step on some toes when I say this, but oh well. There are some denominations that have allowed or that has done where they have lesbians and homosexuals in positions in the church. They've made them bishops. They've made them priests. Um, Some of these people have established their own, I won't say their own church, but their own type of church. You know, if you're this homosexual, well, yeah, you got the homosexual church. Yeah, I don't, I can't speak for other cities, but I know that there are several here in St. Louis. He doesn't like that. We have put abominations, everything that the Lord said that he did not like, we have allowed to enter into our churches. That's dangerous. Well, in some other churches, and I know I'm going to speak, I'm I'm, going to step on toes on this one. A lot of our black churches, the musicians are homosexual. Why do we allow that? Well, they give good music. They play real good. Yeah, they do play. They play very well. Yes, they do. However, that does not mean that they should be there, okay? We got preachers that sit in the pulpit, show you how we don't allow the world to move in. And I've overheard these conversations, sad to say, where they're sitting in the pulpit and they're scoping out the women in the audience, in the congregation. 
and they talking about who they gonna talk to, and your wife <laughs> is sitting on the pew in front of them. But now we, yeah, we gonna get on the women too because we don't make it no better. Some of us dress so seductively, and we want to sit on their front pew. Don't you know that that's the devil that is making these women dress seductive, sitting on that front pew, you getting up trying to bring the word, and you can't bring the word because your eyes are being distracted to her. That is deception. That is deceiving. All of these are tricks of the enemy. Do we need to repent? Yes, we do. In a serious kind of way. We have allowed such weird teachings to come in. I remember Pastor Mobley saying this, and this phrase has always stuck with me. The doctrine, which is our word, has been so fragmented till the disciplined, which is supposed to be us, don't know the discipline anymore because we have taken that word and, 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 and broke it all up to satisfy our human whims, it's the whole hog or no hog at y'all at all, y'all. You can't take verse twelve out of chapter fifteen in Romans, and then you're gonna take verse twenty-two out of the twenty-second chapter of somebody and say okay, I'm going to take these doctrines, I'm going to create my own thing. No. That's the reason why we say here, we teach the word. It's a word from the word. It's nothing about denomination. No, it's not. It's about what he says. And he's not liking what is going on. Why do you think? us with our arrogant selves, why do you think he is allowing what is happening to happen? Because not only did the church, but I won't say not only did, the church failed him a long time ago. I remember when I was a little girl and was in grade school, and this woman named Maureen O'Hara, I don't know if y'all remember anything about her or not, but I was like in the, I want to say I was like in the third grade, somewhere in that third or fourth grade, where this woman went to the Supreme Court and stood before them and demanded that they take prayer out of school. She was a starch hard atheist, didn't believe in God. It was offensive to her. Now, the same individual, she had two sons, or she might have had more than two, but I know that the two sons that I'm speaking about is 
One followed her, but guess what? In the midst of all of that, she had a son that was a Christian, and he taught the word. He didn't care what mama said. He didn't care how mama felt about what he was doing, and he might have even told mama she was wrong, okay? But any time we stand and allow, and I remember asking my mama, mama, why did they do that? School used to be peaceful. We would say the play, we would say our prayer. We said the Lord's Prayer at the beginning. Then we said the President of Allegiance. Then the teacher might would read a scripture. And we had peaceful days. But when that was taken away, it, 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 it was like from that point, we was on a downward spiral. It's like we were going to hell in a handbasket, okay? Now look at us. We have no respect. We have no regard. And some of us that are supposed to be king's kids have fallen prey to the deception of what has been taught wrong. So many of our king's kids have fallen prey to the deception till they have gone away from the church. Then we got those people where the church has hurt them. See, the church got a lot to give an account of, okay? Me and, me and my daughter was talking this morning about church hurt. She knows the individual that has been hurt. And this person, he's not saying that he don't believe in God, but the thing is he's not going to church either, okay? And what we don't understand is, is that when an individual has been hurt, by the very thing that's supposed to be teaching love, okay? Those individuals are pretty much like those ships that we was talking about before. Instead of greeting them with love and kindness when the ships come in, we're supposed to be the lighthouse. When the ships come in, we want to be the judge and all of that and, 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 <laughs> Those ships then turn around and go back out to sea. Do they come to that port again? No, they don't. They've been hurt. Because somewhere along the line, the church then said something offensive. Instead of having love for them. I made the example, okay, so what the young lady comes in and her blouse is, is cut too low or her skirt is too short. Sisters, gather around this woman. Give her love because she's not coming there to be judged. She's seeking. She wants her soul to be saved. Maybe that's all she had to wear because the Lord said, come as you are. He ain't paying no attention to whether you got on he don't care whether you're stepping out looking like you just came out of Harper's Bazaar or the Goodwill. 
He don't care because he's not looking at the outside. He's looking at the heart. And if this girl's heart is in the right place, and if your heart is in the right place, you're not going to be her judge, jury, and executioner. You're going to take her with love. You're going to teach her the word. You're going to dress the way you're supposed to dress. And guess what? Somewhere along the line, that young lady is going to realize, oh, man, I need some clothes. Now, if you don't developed a relationship with her, and the reason why I'm saying this is because, guess what, y'all? I lived it, all right? I didn't have a whole lot of clothes when I came back out of the street, came back into the fold of, 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 of our Lord. But guess what? The church that the Lord let me get into, those women did not criticize what I wore. And we developed relationships, and they were loving relationships. And one of the sisters came to me privately and told me, she said, you know what? I done outgrew some of the clothes that I got in my closet. Would you mind if I brought them next Sunday to you? That was a blessing to me. And I was like, yeah, sure, you can bring them. But guess what? When she brought those clothes, she did not make a public display. Hey, y'all, I'm going to give Benny these bags of clothes. No. She waited till after church was over. People had left. Then she came to me and she said, Hey, look, I got those bags in the trunk. I live close to the church, so I was able to take those bags and just go down the alley, two houses, and go into my back door. Until this day, nobody knows that this woman gave me those clothes. That's what I'm talking about. Don't hurt because that church hurt cuts to the very quick, as we say. Just like the Lord's word, we didn't already read how that word is going to cut us, not only separate the spirit and the soul, but down to the bone, the joint, the marrow. That means that word is going to hit you in every cell of your body. And we need to get it right. In verse 17, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear. The danger of false teaching and immoral conduct still faces our churches today even more so. So does the teaching or the danger of teaching or allowing false teaching and immorality to come in, like the church or the Christians in Pergamos. That's dangerous. It's a danger. We cannot allow 
this false, the false teachings and immorality to take place. We need to stand up and speak out against it. Don't care who don't like it. Hey, remember when we was in the world and we would give those grand cousins? We didn't care who didn't like it and who, hey, it came out, we said what we had to say, and then we was gone. So how come we can't have that same kind of boldness? I tell people all the time, I still dance. I just change partners, that's all. I came back to my original partner that I started out with. Because, see, I found out the other partner I was dancing with was leading me down a road of destruction. And when the Lord told me, hey, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. And he wasn't telling me about a physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. Hey, I I didn't want that. I didn't want that kind of separation. Especially when you've been taught and you know better, yeah. And did he yell that to me? No, he didn't. But it was the firmness in his voice, his words. If you don't change your ways, you're going to die. And I'm like, whoa, uh uh-uh, no, no, uh uh-uh, I can't have that. However, in the last part of verse 17, the Lord has a promise of reward. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To him who overcomes, the one who overcomes the spirit of the false teachings and living immorally will receive the hidden manna. The hidden manna is said to be God's perfect provision, the true bread from heaven. In John 6 and 41, it says, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. So the hidden manna is our creator. He's a bread of life. Our spiritual life, not the physical life, our spiritual life. We know with our physical life, you know, we got to have food. Yeah, we, that's what we do. We got to eat the food to keep the body moving. Yeah. So guess what? Our spiritual life needs to have food so we can keep that spirit moving. And the only way we can do that is through his word. Then he says, I will give a white stone. Okay. Now, 
This is a bit of history right here. You got to understand what that white stone is. The white stone was used for, in the ancient world, many a thing, okay? That white stone could have been a ticket to a banquet. That white stone could be a sign of friendship. And what I mean by that is, y'all know the little lockets that, that, that nowadays where you got the heart, and the heart is broke in half, and if you got a best friend or a boyfriend, he might or she might have one part of the heart, and you'll have the other part of the heart. And when you all see each other, it's like a little ritual thing. You know, you put your little hearts together, and you hug and all of that. Okay, it's a sign of friendship. Also, that white stone was used um, as being counted when or having been counted, you know, because they would do census. The census that we're taking now is not the first time census has been ran because if we read back in the Old Testament, Senses were always being taken among the children of Israel, especially when they were traveling and coming up against all the different enemies that they were facing. The Lord would tell them to take count, number the men from this age to that age, and from that age to that age. That was a census, just like the census that we're doing now. You're counting the heads to see how many you got in your country. And you know what? Sad to say, some of them that have filled out the census thing didn't make it because of this pestilence that's coming through right now. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Uh, if you were in a court of law, if they found you innocent, if you were acquitted, of the crime, you got the white stone. Now, if you was found guilty, you got a black stone, white. Mm -hmm. And you had to suffer the consequences of that. So when it said that this white stone was given, the Lord is telling them, I'm going to give you this to show you to show that, number one, hey, you're a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, you're a friend of mine. And if we have repented and got our act together, that stone can also be a sign of our acquittal. So when we stand before him, when we stand before God the Father, and he's going down through the did you, our due diligence. Did we do them all? No, we didn't do them all. No, no. We did some of them, yeah, we did some of them. But you see, we got to understand we got a white stone, which is Yeshua, our Savior. 
And he will stand up and say, well, Dad, I know that they did wrong, but ain't that why you sent me down there so that they could repent and they're covered by my blood? Think about it. He's our white stone. Because God knows if we were to stand before our creator now, some of us would not pass the test. For real. Then he said, oh my, and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. The question arises, what is the meaning of this new secret name promised to him who overcomes? Is it God's name or is it the believer's name? It's the believer's new name. And the name itself is probably more important than the stone. Now, we had made mention about names earlier in our teaching, and I know that before we came into this earthly realm, we had names over there. We don't remember what those names were, because when we came into this dark world, all of that got covered up. So, yeah, when we get back into his presence, that name that we will be receiving, it could be the name that we had before we came down here, or it could be a new one because it could be a different one. Because when we read through the word, God had a way of changing folks' names. He changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. And there were several other people who he changed their names for. So, yeah, we may, I may start out as Benny, but it don't mean that that's the way it's going to end up, okay? Let us take heed to this. Let us start doing an inventory. We need to start going through our checklist. Yeah, we need to go through the checklist to make sure that we are doing what he is asking us to do. I know we're past the time, but I'm going to open up the floor, and if anybody got any questions or comments... You can do so now at this time. Question, Sister um, Sister Riddle. Yes, sir. When you're speaking of the, in verses 14 and 15, when it's talking about um, the doctrine of Balaam and, and the Nicolaitans, that means that the church of Pergamon, they were aware of the doctor of what these people were doing as far as immoral, sexual immorality um, and other things were concerned. 
against the law of God, but they just winked at it just because they wanted to have um, big as big numbers as far as attendance is concerned? Not necessarily big numbers in attendance, but like what you had said at first, Brother L, they allowed it and they took part in it. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. But to satisfy their flesh, (laughs) it's more fun, all right? It's just like us today. We've done things and we knew that that was wrong. We knew it was wrong. But we did it because it made us feel good, all right? And this is pretty much what this church in Pergamos, they knew what the immorality was. They knew what the rules were. But rather than going against it, they flowed with it because they feared if I stand up against it, I'm going to get killed. Okay. Because, see, during this particular time, the, the church was being persecuted. Like we said yesterday, if they found out that you were a Christian, your possessions came and got taken away from you, um, if you came from a wealthy family, that family denied you, and in many instances you were stoned, you were given over to the lions, you were persecuted, you were uh, um you were dipped in oil and burned, you know, all of these things. And so you could say fear in some instances along with the feel good, they did that. But this is what the Lord is saying. Don't give in. Be like my servant Antipas. Antipas stood up against it. He knew that he was going to, that, that the, he understood the likeliness of him being persecuted, killed. He knew that. But he was willing to take that chance. You know what? I don't care what you do because, see, like we were saying earlier, we don't need to fear a man that can only hurt our body. We need to fear God that can destroy both body and soul. So Antipas talked about it. No, this is wrong. Y'all need to get back over here. Why are you following all of that? You're worshiping these idols. Y'all know what the Lord say about worshiping idols. He didn't already told us he's a jealous God. He ain't supposed to have now nothing before him. What are you doing? Why y'all over there doing <laughs> participating in, in, in this fornication. You know better. And, yeah, he got killed, but guess what? He stood up for what was right. And you see, a lot of times we don't want to do that for fear of what the outcome is going to be. If we're going to be kids, kids, king's kids, in this day and time, we can't have no fear, y'all. We're going to have to stand up for what is right, regardless of who says or who don't. 
So that will I go. I that answered your question. Okay, so that will go along with what you said as far as in Revelation, um, the Nicolaitans and um, the congregation of Pergamon, they celebrated the gifts rather than the give as far as, you know, they celebrated the immorality that was around them instead of celebrating the fact that they were supposed to be separate from all of that? Right. Exactly. Okay, and that the Nicolaitans um, use, I don't know whether, I don't know whether they use physical, but they use, um, they use talking to people, coercion and, and like nonsense to um, conquer the people and swing them over to their side. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much, Sister, Sister Riddle. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Brother L. Yes, sir. You know, because, see, that's the deception. Look. The smoothest liar ever lived was the devil. <laughs> he the father of lies. He's the father of deception. He can make that thing look so good and pretty. And you'll be falling head over heels in love with it. And he's sitting over there in the corner. Uh-huh, yeah, I got another one. Like in this day and time right now, me and one of my neighbors, we were talking about um, people adopting, adopting children and the way society is going now and what we see on TV, and it's making this alternative lifestyle look like it's normal when it's not. It's easier for them to adopt a child in some instances than it is for a heterosexual. Why? Because that's the way society is leaning. The Lord loves them. Yes, he does because he created them. It's what they do is what he don't like. What is the abomination? And see, that's what needs to be taught. He loves them because they are his creation. We're all his creation. But he don't like what they do. And he speaks out against that. But how many of us do that? Hmm. Think about it. We have come down to the end of this session. I appreciate everybody that has called in today. I appreciate the questions and the comments, and I hope that I have been able to answer your questions that you've asked. Um, I invite you to join us tomorrow, same time, when we'll be talking about the Church of Thyatira. And this is another one that he's going to be telling them to repent. So join us tomorrow, and we will be picking up with verse number 18. So that will be Revelation 2 and 18. We're going to close now with prayer. Our Father, 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And remember, the Amen. Lord loves you, and we do too. Y'all take care. Too. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great evening. You too.